welcome to this week's episode of the Python People podcast. And uh, this week, I am very honoured indeed to be joined by Natalia Lyaskea. Natalia, how are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you. My pleasure to be here. Good. My, my pleasure to have you on this uh, very wet, rainy, dull day um, in London. But uh, yeah, lovely to have you. Lovely to be joined by you. And um, I guess... Uh, to frame the, the chat today in Italia by way of introduction, so for those people that haven't had a chance to, to meet with you yet, you are the CDO for um, Zest Money, it's the Chief Data Officer uh, for Zest Money. Uh, you're also in the, the Data IQ Top 100 Most Influential Leaders in Data, uh, which is a real accolade. So uh, again, a real honour to, to have you here and thanks for coming to, to share your perspectives. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess the, the, the theme of the, the episode, we got chatting quite recently and we talked about what it takes to grow a data function within a startup business and you know, data science function, I guess, in particular with your background. Uh, so we thought, you know, let's get together, let's do a podcast and, and sort of share a few ideas. And, and clearly you have a, a wealth of experience, I'm sure, to, to share with people. So, um, yeah, before we get into all that, though, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, your, your kind of career story to date? And uh, yeah, we can go from there. Yeah, Absolutely. So I think from the early days, uh, I had a passion for data, uh, everything related to calculus, to math, to numbers. I always love doing this. And uh, I got a math teacher in the school that actually, uh, I think he was half mathematician and half musician who inspired me a lot to, to move into this field. And uh, uh, I chose economics. At that time, no one was talking about computer science uh, yet, or data science as a career. So uh, economics was very popular. So I was thinking that that's something that can be quite of demand on the market. Uh, and uh, I really loved studies. Uh, it was very much uh, intense in the mathematics, statistics, econometrics, uh, everything. And uh, finally, I ended up doing my PhD, what's called institutional economics. Uh, I don't know if you heard about it. It's basically the field of economics that uh, started non-market incentive of human behavior. So it's about rules of the games, uh, uh, the behavioral economics, uh, how humans behave to different uh, signals, to different um, motivations. So that's uh, fascinated me quite a lot. And uh, I, I was uh, inspired a lot uh, by... Uh, various uh, conferences uh, that was taken part of. Uh, I had the honor to, to be in the conference together with uh, the first uh, woman who actually got the Nobel Prize in economics, Eleanor Ostrom. Oh. So that uh, was a really amazing experience. I then decided to, to move away from academics and uh, actually go into industry. And uh, this is where I had uh, my experience in the company is called uh, CRIF. Uh, it is one of the biggest credit bureau now in the market, uh, covering many different markets. At that point, when I joined them, they were not that uh, famous. I think uh, they joined, uh, they actually came to, to start their operations in Moscow. And uh, that's uh, when I joined them as a first uh, statistic analyst. Again, no one was talking yet about data science. Mm. And uh, this is where I 
understood that I can apply the knowledge and the modeling part and statistic part of what I was doing in the university. I didn't know anything about financial technology sector, how to build the scorecards, how to build uh, the probability default model, loss forecasting, and so on. I had a, a lot of great teachers on the way. But uh, that actually uh, gave me a very good uh, feeling uh, what I want to do in the future. And uh, this is where uh, I decided to be focused on the fintech sector as well going forward. So uh, when our company started operations uh, in Moscow, there were not much work for uh, the professional like me. Uh, they were looking for the clients, but uh, no yet data to build the model. So, so I've been spending a lot of time in their headquarter in Italy and uh, doing a lot of uh, work uh, with the customers all over the Europe. And uh, afterwards, I moved to London, and this is where I started uh, working for Vanguard. Uh, for again being uh, their first uh, data analyst at that point and uh, basically building from the scratch all the models on uh, to improve their underwriting decisions and this is where i got again taste for extremely fast developing industry and i uh, was fascinated what uh, machine learning and data can do uh, in the sector to basically differentiate someone uh, coming from the traditional mainstream background like the big banks and uh, what actually the startups can do in this field for mm -hmm. fraud prevention for optimizing the product for evaluating the risk basically applications can be anything and uh, yeah i spent uh, quite a lot of time with them uh, building uh, the teams uh, going internationally on different markets uh, uh, lately doing a lot of uh, regulatory stuff uh, related to affordability assessment, price uh, optimization. And uh, the last six, almost six years now, I'm with Zest Money. is uh, actually an Indian company with uh, three brilliant co-founders. Uh, we worked together at Wongar and they decided to build uh, their own business in India. It is, uh, again, in the financial technology sector. Um, and uh, currently Zest Money is one of the largest and the fastest growing pay later product in India. And uh, I started uh, with them basically from building the data science team uh, locally in India and uh, uh, lately moving uh, towards more strategic uh, thinking around, around data technology and so on. Wow, yeah. fantastic. That's, uh, that's great. Really interesting story. And what, what I love about that story is I guess your, um, you know, your, your background really lends very well to a career in data science. I can see fully how you've landed in this field, but it just seems like you kind of followed your intuition and uh, I'm impressed at how many places you've been where you've kind of obviously started at yeah. the beginning and you know, scaled, scaled it up to the beginning. So uh, you must be doing something right. Well, that's true. <laughs> uh, so uh, no, yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Really, really great story. And uh, yeah, must be uh, very proud of your, your career to date. Um, so, so talk us through then that, um, you know, that, that journey, you know, from establishing something from scratch, setting up a data science function from scratch, um, in a startup environment. Talk us through your experience of that. Yeah, that's actually a very challenging experience. I think uh, there are two uh, key reasons I see why it is challenging. The first one, uh, when you uh, hire data scientists, uh, the data scientists, they big 
thing that they want to do is uh, to build a sophisticated machine learning algorithm. The reality is that when they come to the startup environment, the majority of the time they're spending on doing anything else but building machine learning models. And I think this is where the disconnect happens uh, between incentives uh, that uh, the data scientists have and uh, their priorities and uh, the idea of what people will be doing for, for the company. And uh, I think that the key thing is uh, exactly to set up uh, the right expectations for the candidates, to make them understand what exactly the business is trying to achieve. And uh, there are plenty of like low-hanging fruits. You can just improve your, uh, the, the way you collect data, accuracy of uh, certain data points uh, you collect, uh, or building simple models that allow you already reach uh, good uh, business objectives. And then you can spend uh, later on some time to improve the model, create multiple versions of it. But uh, I think at the foundations that you start building, and uh, this is uh, the, the important part. And uh, that also allows uh, the data scientists to understand uh, what exactly is the connection between the business and uh, the data science. Mm -hmm. So you, you do not really need to jump immediately on the deep learning uh, methodology to, to build uh, some simple model that uh, will solve already the big part of the questions that the business is asking, for example. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the challenges. The second one is uh, that when you're a startup, no one knows about you. No one knows the brand you're building. And uh, nowadays, the market for data scientists is so big. Uh, everyone just uh, looking to hire data scientists and they have the opportunity to, to look for, for the best option they can have on the market. So there is a lot of effort being brought to persuade them and to basically sell the dream to join the team at the very beginning to be uh, the one who actually will build the product from the scratch to influence what uh, business is doing. So I think that that was also quite challenging. Uh, and uh, of course, you do not want to, you know, bottom fishing uh, for, for the lower quality people. You want to hire the stars. And this is what it takes to, to persuade them to uh, basically bring this uh, aspirational aspect uh, to hiring process. Mm. Yes, that's a really good point, actually, because I guess uh, when a lot of people... Yeah, they, a lot of people enter into the world of data science. They, they want to be get involved with more sexy stuff like machine learning algorithms and all the, the more advanced stuff. And I guess when you're setting up a data science function from scratch, it's, you know, it's not always necessary to be doing that stuff straight away, like you said. And it's actually yeah. the, the, the purpose and one of the, the great beauties of the value, I guess, of data science is it can genuinely solve business problems and add a huge amount of value to the business and, and solve a lot of those problems. But you've obviously got to be prepared to solve the actual problems that need solving right here right now and, Absolutely. and that, balance, that balancing act like you said between how do you attract the uh you know the, the, the superstars the talent out there in the market whilst also you know that level of pragmatism to say look you know you, know, you might not necessarily be doing the most sort of deep learning or, or any of that kind of stuff straight away how did you how did you kind of balance that from from your perspective when you were like i say combined with the fact that not many people maybe even knew who you were yeah, and you didn't have a brand or a reputation yet. How did you uh, how did you balance that as a leader? Yeah, I think a, a lot of uh, uh, attraction uh, that uh, I tried to bring to the data scientist role at that uh, stage was really to be the one who influences uh, the decision making. And I think uh, overall for building the 
uh, effective and productive the data science team, it is important to have data scientists at the table together with the business stakeholders, that they understand the context of the problem they are trying to solve and actually come up with a solution rather than, you know, uh, the business decides what, what needs to be done and then goes back to the data scientist that just spends 100% of his time sitting in front of computer and building some, you know, writing some Python code and tells him what to do. I don't think this is exactly the value of the data scientist to the team. The, the value comes from the person who understands the problem from A to Z and uh, understand what are the right tools, what are the right models to be, to be built for this. And I think that's also uh, as far as a lot of data scientists and uh, they like to be exposed to the business. They like to be the ones who are taking decision, taking part in, uh, and uh, doing this contribution. I think what really, uh, at least uh, in my experience, uh, uh, a lot of data scientists uh, are passionate about is uh, to quickly see the result of their work and uh, I think that's exactly the way how you can uh, attract them by saying look uh, uh, this is a problem you are trying to solve you have all the available resources for you and then in one month say they see their model being in production and actually taking real-time decisions Mm. And uh, that's, I think, the best motivation for data scientists to see this uh, quick feedback loop for what they've been working on. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's a great point. And, and how, do you, how do you go about, um, and you, you were talking about um, when you started Test Money, it was a, an Indian company, is that right, in terms of founded? In Correct. The Did you go about building the team on a remote basis to start off with, or were you acquiring talent and building up the data science function in India, or were you doing that locally? How did that work? Uh, yeah, I've been doing uh, it in India, so the company has a headquarters in Bangalore, as um, the Silicon Valley of India, basically the biggest uh, t tech companies, the startups uh, are all there. So I've been spending a lot of months uh, uh, during my first years there, uh, going and hiring people. And uh, I think uh, the, at that time, basically six years ago, the, another challenge uh, in India was uh, uh, the data scientists, uh, the term could signify anything from someone who just have basic uh, you know excel skills to deal with the data to someone who is very deep into coding and uh, solving uh, uh, some deep math problems uh, with various algorithms so it, it can be anything and on the paper you do not really recognize uh, uh, what skill sets people have mm. and uh, Again, we've been trying to create uh, the competition uh, for them, for example, to compete uh, and uh, see the results, what actually the person can build. But we found out that uh, people were just dropping off again because the market was so saturated and uh, they could go anywhere where no one asked them to perform any test or write any piece of code. So that was pretty challenging because at the same time you... Uh, have to find a way to test their actual skills, but uh, you didn't want to end up again uh, taking uh, just the talent that uh, is not going anywhere because of, of their quality, for example. Mm. So that, that, that was a big, I would say, specific to India challenge. Uh, so, yeah, 
that's how that was going. But that was exciting time. That was uh, my first journeys to India, and uh, there are a lot of fun stories about uh, how this uh, the whole process was going. Yeah, I bet absolutely. And I think that's that's a really great point, actually. And it's something that you know a lot of, a lot of clients, irrespective of whether you're recruiting in you know, abroad or or you know uh, in your own country when the supply and demand paradigm, you know, the demand massively outstrips supply and candidates, you know, do have a lot of options. And I think that's definitely happened over the last few years from the data science space and in particular kind of you know, uh, machine learning, uh, true machine learning engineers. Um, they can kind of, I suppose, cherry pick often the companies they work at. And it's about, and I often help clients and sort of coach them through that. It's, it's the candidate experience that's as important as, assessing those technical skills obviously from a client's point of view of course you have to make sure you're hiring the right person and you've actually um assessed the right skills you need to to be confident yep. they're the right person but it's also about not making the process overtly difficult in comparison to the rest of the market because like you said it's often those uh those companies that end up securing a lot of good talent it's not necessarily the best companies in my opinion or necessarily the 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 ones that are doing the most innovative work, um, but often it's those with the, the slickest process, you know, and they've yeah. found a way to make the candidate experience really smooth. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a really, really great point that you mentioned there. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I, I, and are you, um, are you still managing a team remotely in India now, or do you have it more locally based, the data science team? What's the kind of split uh, internationally? Uh, no, everyone is uh, in uh, India, uh, so I uh, do manage team remotely. We now have uh, uh, key people on the ground, so uh, my work becomes much easier. Um, but uh, at the beginning, uh, again, I've been spending a lot of time uh, locally just because uh, uh, the, the team needed uh, some uh, guidance and uh, it definitely worked much better when I was in the office. But yeah. uh, uh, the last year showed that the remote work actually works as well quite yeah. well for everyone yeah yeah absolutely yeah i guess you, you were probably already already there really weren't you sort of pre-pandemic you'd obviously done the hard work and you'd uh, you'd established exactly. that remote culture already which is which is great and uh yeah for a lot of companies that uh you know weren't prepared for any remote working clearly the pandemic threw the cat amongst the pigeons quite a lot and put them into a serious state of disarray so for those companies yep. that um had managed to perfect that model beforehand, shall we say? They seem to have weathered the storm, um, you know, quite a bit better. Which is so it's great to see you fall into that camp. <laughs> um, so, uh, so talk us through them. You, you've you've uh, you've talked about how you go about you know, hiring for talent and the story and how you kind of paint that picture for somebody. Once you've laid the initial foundations, you know, you've established the team. Um, I think, especially if you're managing people remotely. How do you then continue to inspire and motivate people um, remotely, and and how do you keep the team evolving? You know, keep keep it moving forward towards uh, you know a goal. What's your take on that? Yeah. Uh, so as I said, uh, I think the first and uh, most important for me is uh, to make sure that uh, everyone is engaged and feel uh, uh, that the work they are doing is important for the business. So I uh, 
try to bring everyone, even uh, like junior people, uh, to present their work themselves in front of uh, the business stakeholders. Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, I also believe that uh, the data scientists are not only people who you know write code and are technically skillful, but uh, I think the biggest part of uh, the data science story is also the storytelling. How you uh, talk about the work you've done and uh, what exactly uh, you want to show to demonstrate to the business. Uh, and I think uh, that's as well one of the challenges that a lot of data scientists have. Uh, they are very good in coding uh, in problem solving, but uh, sometimes uh, it is a lack of uh, right communication skills at, uh, to be able to explain, especially to non-technical people, what exactly they've been doing. So you kind of uh, need to have this helicopter view as well uh, to be able to, uh, to, to create the story. Uh, I don't think it is uh, such an easy exercise and everyone needs to, to, to train and to have some experience uh, to do this. Uh, rather than someone who is just coming with this uh, um, skill set naturally. So that, that's why I motivate my team in, as I said, from the junior positions to be able to present to different audiences, uh, to talk about uh, uh, the work, to be able to answer uh, the questions, to, to challenge what uh, they've been doing. And I think that that's motivates uh, the team quite a lot. Mm. Um, the other... Uh, part is uh, the problems themselves so what kind of problems uh, they are solving uh, I think uh, as I said before uh, many of them like to work on challenging technical problems but uh, the more they understand business they actually like to solve the problem as well from let's say consumer point of view or from the end user point of view depending on the product they are building so I think that that's uh, uh, as well uh, opens up their mind and uh, allows them to see a much bigger perspective and uh, to create uh, uh, better solutions, I think, uh, to some extent. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think operationally-wise, uh, there are many touch points uh, we have during uh, uh, the week, uh, some uh, stand-up calls just to make sure that everyone is aligned on what, what are the goals, or what is uh, the roadmap, um, if there are any questions, any blockers, uh, um, we have a, quite a lot of lunch and learn on different sessions where someone presents not necessarily the work related to the business, but uh, some article they've read or some uh, interesting podcast they've been listening to recently. So the, the, there is a lot of this knowledge sharing. And, and uh, uh, I think uh, data scientists, again, are liking this community where they can not only talk about the work they are doing, but also just, you know, the, uh, share uh, the, the new updates of what is happening new in the market with the data, with the technology, and uh, uh, th this kind of learning uh, is uh, always uh, inspiring and uh, helping team to get bounded together. Mm, yeah, I totally agree on that. I think peer learning is a really powerful um, way, isn't it? Because often, as a manager or a leader, you know, of course, you're responsible for their training and development, and very often, you know, it kind of comes from one channel <laughs> you know people's learning and development comes from you and uh, irrespective of how inspirational you are you know often just all of your knowledge coming from one source um, you know it can sometimes all, all sort of dull a little bit so I think keeping it fresh and you know doing sort of peer learning sessions we, we as a company you know very similar um, we often do sort of peer 
um, learning sessions where we get together and on a, on the morning, you know, sort of share a, a video that somebody's found really motivational, and uh, you know, we'll all talk about it. And I just think it keeps the keeps the job quite fresh and interesting, and it feels like you know people people feel um, you know best when they are growing and, and developing, and uh, you know, and I think that's something we can all do. As, as people um, outside of our job as well, you know, from a personal development standpoint. So yeah, I totally, totally um, agree on that front. Um, so I think another, sorry, just to add here, I think another interesting point that what we are trying to do quite a lot is to organize uh, hackathons, uh, both oh, yeah. internally and externally. And that, that's uh, really what data scientists love, just to pick up problem uh, that is uh, a bit outside of the strategic roadmap that we have and yeah. uh, work on it either individually or in teams. Uh, so that, that's kind of sense of competition, I think, mm. uh, from time to time is very healthy and help a team to, to get uh, involved as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Have you managed to uh, organize any hackathons uh, remotely or have you only ever done them in person? Uh, not this year, but this year the team was uh, participating in the hackathon that was organized by the TransUnion, and uh, okay. actually they won the first two uh, prizes. So ah, I'm very proud right. of them. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. It's uh, it's a really nice accolade, isn't it? And it's just a good bit of fun as well, a bit of team pride, I guess. And you, uh, like I say, from that bonding point of view. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. not often you really get to go up against other companies i guess in the same domain is it so you know something like a hackathon yeah. it does sort of pit people against each other on a level playing field often because obviously the problem isn't domain specific usually so uh, yeah that's uh, that's cool um so clearly yeah it seems like you've got a lot right you know with the the culture and the way you're managing the team and uh, yeah i can fully uh, fully see how the, the team's been successful um what about on the, the bits you feel you know i guess any startup business there's loads of lessons to learn and you always look back on things and think, oh, okay, well, this is from personal experience. Yeah, well, I could have done that a bit better or, uh, you know, that was probably wasn't the best way to handle that situation. Um, what, what do you feel have been your kind of big mistakes, I guess, or your kind of key learns that you, you could share that, uh, yeah, you know, in hindsight, looking back, is, uh, it was a really big learning lesson. Yeah, I think uh, the first lesson I learned is uh, uh, and the suggestion I would uh, give to uh, other companies who are building the data science teams is uh, to align the data science uh, team and needs with uh, their goals of the company or the goal of uh, the data science that you are placing for them. Because mm. uh, uh, what I see a lot, and uh, uh, I think uh, to some extent we've been also doing this, uh, we, started to, we always were thinking that data and machine learning uh, usage of AI technologies will be our key uh, advantage and uh, basically making us ahead of competition and uh, from the day one we've been focusing like yes we need to build a data science team and uh, we need to create this data science culture but uh, it actually takes a long long way to build uh, the data science culture it doesn't come from day one uh, you cannot, uh, you know, someone who uh, been always using Excel or uh, doing uh, some basic analysis to come and say, look, this is now what the, another tool that you need to use, or you have uh, the data science team that can build anything for you. There needs to be a completely shift in people's mind 
how to approach the problems they have. Mm. And uh, if you have uh, the data science goals aligned with the rest of the business, that helps a lot. But mm. if you just build the team saying, oh, now we have the data science team, we can answer any question we want, um, we have plenty of data, that just doesn't work. You really need to have a strategic thinking how exactly you want to use the team, so how you want to use the resource, how you want to use data, what kind of questions you want to answer. Because sometimes uh, uh, actually the data itself suggests you what questions uh, are the right to answer. But you need to, to have a clear idea in your mind what you're going to do with this. Because uh, it's very easy to lose the right talent that you spend a lot of time hiring. Mm. Because uh, th there is no alignment and there is no clear vision at the top level wh what exactly is the role of the team and what exactly they're they planning to do. So mm. I think that that's uh, the key to have this team aligned with the business goals and to have a clear picture and a clear definition of what they're going to do in the team, how they're going to contribute to the yeah. business. Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess on that note, having literally sort of forged the team from you know scratch what are your thoughts on you know kind of optimal team structure in a data science team you know in terms of size do you prefer bigger smaller teams do you feel that, that you know bigger teams with more people mean always mean more output and um, you know so what are, you, what are your kind of thoughts on on size of team and i guess and also use of internal versus external consultancies you know in-house versus third parties what, what are your thoughts on that yeah, I think that that's probably another important point to consider when you build the team is uh, uh, the size of the team and that you need to understand that there is no one-fits-all solution. Again, you need to clearly understand what you need this team for, what kind of problem they are trying to solve. If it is just, you know, to work on some uh, one-time project, but probably you do not need to hire the big data science team and uh, you can uh, successfully outsource this. Now there are plenty of different companies that uh, uh, provide a really high level of data scientists uh, are fully devoted and uh, contributing to the team. But uh, if you uh, want to build uh, the data science as a key and a core capability of uh, the company and basically make your product based on data AI technology as a key competitive advantage. I think uh, the, this is where you need to start building the thinking to start building team internally. Uh, in terms of uh, size, uh, I think again, it varies and depends on multiple factors. Like we've been a startup at the very, very early stage six years ago because uh, there is always shortage of resources. Uh, and, uh, but uh, as I said, from day one, we knew that we wanted to build this capability internally. Uh, so that, that's probably, you do not think about big size team and you are looking for hiring like one or two data scientists. And uh, again, you need to understand what exactly your data scientist uh, will be doing. Uh, will he be working uh, just with a building machine learning uh, model? So algorithm, will it also be involved in building the data pipelines, uh, the, the whole uh, architecture piece, uh, how, how the models will be productionized? Uh, 
So, uh, or it will be, you know, just uh, someone who is doing basic analysis. And in this case, the question is, do you really need a data scientist for this purpose? You probably need a, a different resource. You can have a great analyst who will derive plenty of intelligence uh, from your data, but uh, not necessarily will be a data scientist. So again, you need to balance uh, the goals, the business goals, and you need to balance uh, the resources and uh, uh, understand what exactly you're expecting from the people uh, mm. in the team. So in our case, uh, we knew that the data scientists will be people who uh, work uh, not only uh, with the data modeling, but actually uh, the whole process from data extraction, data manipulation, uh, doing uh, basic analytics as well together on top of this. Uh, but uh, we knew that we also want to have uh, an engineer who will additionally help us create the whole architecture piece, uh, the data pipeline, the ETL processes, uh, help us uh, implement uh, the, the models into production environment and do all the machine learning ops part. Mm. So the, the, there is, uh, I think, as well, uh, uh, if you think in these terms, if you hire a data scientist but do not hire a data engineer, then you probably end up doing some uh, POCs from time to time, but uh, you, you won't be able or you will spend a lot of time asking your data scientist to do the work that he's not prepared to do. Mm. So you, you really need to be clear about the objectives you want to uh, reach and uh, how the right team will be structured. Yeah. Now we, for example, uh, we are a much bigger company, we have a much bigger team and uh, uh, we, even within the data scientists, we have uh, the sub-teams or verticals dedicated to a specific problem solving, for example, someone looking specifically for the building fraud solutions or someone looking for building uh, the collection uh, optimization modeling. So the, the, the team is much bigger, there is a separate piece of uh, of a team working on the engineering uh, solutions, on the architecture solutions. Uh, and uh, I think this is how it works well, hands in hands between the two teams. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And I think it's very interesting when you say that, because obviously data is a huge umbrella, isn't it? It sits across so many different disciplines and technologies and roles and techniques, etc. And I guess it's, it's a bit of a problem with the rise of popularity of you know, AI, AI and data science and you know, now, now there's this new sexy title of data scientist, you know, everybody calls himself a data scientist often. You've got to sort of really dig under the hood to actually understand what somebody's doing. And uh, like you said, yeah, like many instances, do you actually need a data scientist for, for what you're doing or, or not, as the case may be? So, uh, yeah, I think it's really, really uh, useful to share that, sort of being very clear on actually the role and the person you do need. Um, but with that in mind, bearing in mind there are these different roles and sort of different skill sets and, and different focuses, when you go about growing the team and you look about hiring individuals to join the business, do you, irrespective of the, the nature of the role um, from a technical focus point of view, do you have any sort of core uh, characteristics or core traits um, that you assess candidates against that you know, sort of as common thread that runs throughout, whether it's somebody you would look to, to bring on board? Yeah, uh, I think, uh, again, uh, for us, uh, the technical skills, well, it's obviously an important aspect, but uh, uh, not the most critical one. Uh, I think uh, that given that we are uh, 
being the startup company, what was uh, important uh, is uh, to have people who are eager to solve the problem. So I think problem solving capability is one of uh, the key. Uh, basically, again, understanding the problem from the very beginning, uh, trying to understand what are the right tools, what are the data needed for this, because at the very beginning we didn't have any data on our own, so even to understand where you need to go, what kind of data you need uh, to build the solution, how you get this data, what, what is the most optimal way to get this data, or the fastest way uh, to get this data, and then come up with a solution. And uh, once you come up with a solution, for example, the model, you actually need to understand how to apply this model, right? So you can build a strategy on top of this model. And again, at the very beginning, we had just a very small team and the, the people who were building the model so were also the ones who were building the strategy on top of this model. And this is what was important for us to have a person who is eager to do this kind of things and uh, not stopping, you know, just I build the model, I'm happy with performance, uh, I don't know, the genie is uh, 75%. So that, that's uh, the biggest I achieve, but uh, actually that's not where the, the work is ending. So the, the whole process of building the strategy, bringing the model to production, monitoring it, uh, the, the, the whole end-to-end -end process, and uh, that's what was important. I think the other thing, uh, I think it's probably independently whether it is a data scientist or overall we are looking for some new resource. I always looking for someone who loves to learn. Doesn't matter what, it's a new algorithm or you know a new way of doing some things or just a completely different someone who learns to play a music instrument or learns a new language. Someone who has uh, the desire to always evolve, to always uh, think uh, what will be the next thing uh, that, that uh, I can uh, bring to the business or even just to develop myself as a personality. I think the world now is changing so fast, you never know what will be requested uh, from the candidates 10 years from now, 20 years from now. But I think what is important is that uh, when someone has this desire to learn, to always evolve, to adapt himself to the new conditions, uh, that's uh, probably the key uh, feature that, that the person can bring and uh, make himself successful. Yeah. Like uh, no one, uh, again, when I started career, no one was talking about the data science at all. And uh, th there is a lot of uh, learning and adaptation on the way. And uh, someone who can do it, uh, there's a lot of errors as well, right? It doesn't come just, uh, you know, naturally with a very straightforward process. Always you learn, you make a mistake, uh, and you learn from this mistake. From There is a, always a lesson you learn, and uh, that's how you evolve uh, as, a, as a personality. So uh, I would say, yeah, th th these two things, curiosity as well, but uh, that's probably as well something that comes together with problem solving and learning. Yeah, yeah, I, def I would definitely share that sentiment. And um, similarly, actually, when I, when I hire for, for the business, for recruitment consultants, just somebody that's always looking to improve on themselves and, like you say, curiosity and um, learning and self-development, I think, is, is absolutely key. Because, uh, you know, I think jobs... And this is outside of recruitment and uh, data science, but jobs often can become quite you know, mundane if you're doing it day in, day out all the time. And I think you need to have that kind of personality where, you know, 
of course it's up to the business to ensure that you allow opportunities for people to grow and develop but i think you know self-starters and people that do enjoy learning and do enjoy developing i think very often if you have that mindset you can sometimes read something or listen to something that just triggers a whole new way of doing something and then actually it feeds into a a real piece of innovation in the business that you know yep. you hadn't even necessarily thought of before and i think it's that kind of mindset that um you know really great candidates do do have um so yeah i totally would echo that uh, in my experience as well um okay fantastic well i guess just lastly i was keen to get your thoughts on you mentioned earlier the um you, you know what, what attracted you from your previous studies of kind of you know behavioral economics and human behavior to the fintech space and just the, the sheer possibilities of what can be done with AI machine learning in, in financial services and you know, there's such a vast potential there, so many applications. How do you feel the the landscape is looking at the moment um, for the use of, of AI and, and machine learning in, in the fintech landscape in general? Well, I think that's a really very promising uh, direction for technology application. Like the, the whole fintech uh, uh, sector, so far, I really think that majority of the companies or the banks just were uh, starting their movements towards uh, more data-focused uh, machine learning uh, uh, usage uh, of technology. Uh, the more and more I see application of these going into building the more customized products for the consumers. So it's not one fits all, but actually creating the most uh, customized experience, the most customized product based on the data you, or the information you know about this consumer. So uh, before, I think the first step was everyone was building, starting building, uh, again, the basic risk assessment models, fraud prevention models, that's probably uh, the key one. Uh, I think they're just a few members, a few companies uh, on the market who are not yet doing it, but uh, I think majority moved into this direction. Uh, the more comes as well towards uh, digital uh, assessment. So someone, uh, for example, uh, uh, submits the documents, uh, the QSC solutions that are as well, a lot of uh, development has been done in this field and uh, applied a lot in the financial technology sector. That's again becomes, I think, more and more uh, applicable to, to the sector. Uh, assessing, doing the OCR of the documents, matching the documents, uh, verification, whether the document is genuine or not. So that, that, that's quite typical as well but uh, uh, the, the next step where I see is going is really creating this customized journey and uh, user experience where uh, basically whatever you see on your application or on your product is fully customized uh, to, to a specific individual not just group of individuals not just clusters or segments but really like uh, I take my application and uh, my bank already knows that it is me and uh, knows that uh, I yesterday made a transaction and maybe today I want to uh, do to buy something complementary to the transaction I've done and proposes me, do I want to use uh, the credit line for making this purchase, for example, without asking me additional questions or asking me additional information because they already uh, have some history of me. So I think that the more and more uh, uh, this personalization or even hyper personalization coming to the overall uh, to, to the 
I think any consumer focused uh, product, but uh, also specifically uh, to to the fintech. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think you know um, AI machine learning. I guess in general, any kind of customer focused service where you know enables a, a better level of service through you know automation or or prediction or suggestion or whatever you want to call it that that enables uh, a customer to experience a, a better quality journey. Absolutely, but I think there's a definite demand for it in the financial services space because. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, obviously such a complex world, isn't it? Um, you know, that exists. So being able to uh, use it in the right way to create better quality experiences for people, I think, yeah, there's this huge scope and potential there, absolutely. And so, okay, fantastic. Well, uh, it's been lovely speaking to you, Tyler. I really enjoyed the chat. And I think you, uh, you know, you've shared some real value today in terms of your experience and what you've achieved. And obviously you've got a, a phenomenal track record and very impressive with what you, you have achieved so far. So uh, certainly not a surprise that you've shared a lot of value uh, from your journey. But I uh, just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to uh, to speak with us today. And um, I wish you and, uh, and Zest Money even further success for the future. I'll be watching, uh, watching your progress intently as time goes on. And um, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. The pleasure is uh, all mine. I was uh, really happy to share my experience, and uh, uh, it is great if uh, yeah, this will be helpful for someone. It will absolutely, I'm sure. Well, uh, yeah, uh, take care and stay safe, and we'll uh, we'll catch up soon, hopefully. Stay safe. Bye. Take okay, care. Bye.